Hello, happy Wednesday. It's Jess. I hope you're all doing so well. And I'm very excited today because it's our first proper episode and I'm going to be talking a bit about the person-centered approach to therapy. So what it is, the theory that underpins it, and a little bit about how therapists will practice in this way as well. And I'm going to try not to drone on and on because like all psychotherapeutic theory, there is just endless detail, but really there's just a few key concepts which are actually really helpful for us to understand. So hopefully there'll be something in this that you can take away for yourself. And so just as a bit of background, there are loads of different approaches to therapy, which all come with their own understanding of human beings, why we experience emotional distress, and also what can help us to overcome this. So therapists will have trained in a particular approach or a number of different approaches, and that informs how they work with their clients. So you might have heard of person-centered therapy, you also might have heard of attachment theory, CBT, psychodynamic therapy, compassion-focused therapy, the list goes on. (laughs) And a lot of these approaches and the theories that underpin them do overlap, but also they all have something a little bit different that we can take away and hopefully learn something from. And a lot of therapists will use like an integration of the different approaches as well to meet what the client needs. And I think what I'm going to do is go into some of the different approaches in other episodes so that we can hopefully take something from each of them. But like I say, today we're going to talk about the person-centered approach, which is huge in at least the world of Western psychotherapy. And it feels right to start with this one because it's so often the first one that we learn in therapy training because it really teaches us how to have the most helpful and supportive relationship with clients. And it is actually the relationship which is the main therapeutic tool in person-centered therapy, which I hope will make a bit more sense as we talk through it. And so some therapists will practice in this way, kind of like a foundation for the work. And then from within that relationship, we'll also introduce other things like CBT exercises. But then there are also purely person-centered therapists who I don't doubt would absolutely hate this idea of it being kind of like a foundation from which to do other work. But you know, here we are. And just to say as well, I think that there is a bit of a misconception that person-centered therapy is just like somebody sitting there nodding at you. But really, a really skilled person-centered therapist can bring about really profound work. So I'm here for it. So it's a relational approach in that it believes that our relationships have a lot to answer for when it comes to us experiencing emotional distress and also other challenges as human beings. And with that, it's therefore the therapeutic relationship in which the work takes place. And that's opposed to other approaches. So say something like CBT is focused on our thinking and how our thinking impacts how we feel and how we behave. Um, So CBT doesn't tend to focus a lot on the relational aspects of the work. So the person-centered approach is also often referred to as a humanistic approach, client-centered therapy or Rogerian therapy. And that's because it was developed in the 1940s by a guy called Carl Rogers, who was an American, was, is, is, is he alive? Um, No, if he was already on this by the 40s, he must be no longer with us. Uh, Yeah, there'd definitely be somebody trying to peddle me something if, if he was still alive. There'd be some... 10 grand training that they'd be spamming my inbox with. Anyway, um, yeah, so he was an American psychologist who developed this back in the 40s. And Rogers really shook things up with this because up until this point, things like psychoanalysis had been the dominant kind of therapy. So if you imagine somebody lying on a couch with Freud sat behind them, probably not even looking at them, analysing why they're so broken, in inverted commas. And Rogers found this so disempowering and took on a completely different view of human beings. And so that's where the person-centered approach really starts. 
with this belief that human beings are not broken, but are actually capable of and innately driven towards self-actualization, which is just a bit of a bougie way of saying that we're all capable of and driven towards living our best lives, our most meaningful, most fulfilling lives, and being our most authentic selves. But the crucial thing is that we need the right conditions, the right environment to facilitate that self-actualization process. So we're not broken, we just need the right conditions to thrive. And what creates the environment around us is largely our relationships, which are particularly influential when we're growing up. But also our adult relationships do continue to influence us as well. So like a plant which needs the right soil, the right amount of water, the right level of sunlight to thrive, we do too according to Rogers. But instead of soil, water and light, we need what the person-centred approach refers to as the core conditions, which are empathy, unconditional positive regard and congruence. There are actually six core conditions, but everybody only ever seems to talk about the three. So we'll do that too. And the person-centred approach argues that through embodying these three core conditions, the therapist provides the client with that right environment through their relationship to self-actualize and live their best lives and be their most authentic self. So empathy is probably the most straightforward of the three. It's about being able to really deeply understand another person's feelings and experiences and to be able to convey that understanding. Unconditional positive regard is about accepting and valuing you for you, for who you really are in kind of like an unfiltered way. So accepting you without judgment. And congruence, I would say, it's a bit of a weird word really, isn't it? And having been through therapy training and supported other trainees, I would say this is definitely the most confusing one. Um, But it's really just about the therapist themselves, not playing a role of a therapist, but actually being self-aware and genuine in their relationship with you. So being in real psychological contact in the room. And with this, they'll share with you their experience of you in the relationship. And I suppose just be authentic themselves in their relationship with you. And what this might look like in the room is the therapist being self-aware and able to reflect back to you things like, you know, I, I sense that you're feeling maybe more anxious than you have in other sessions. Is that right? Or you know, I hear you saying that. I'm also aware that a few sessions ago you said this. So that kind of thing. And these core conditions are so significant because what we so often see are clients coming into therapy with essentially like the emotional consequences of existing in an environment which didn't provide those things. And that actually might even have provided the opposite for some people. So say we grew up in an environment which was critical or where we experienced really conditional as opposed to unconditional positive regard. It's going to be a lot more difficult to reach that self-actualization. So let's say you were maybe criticised in your early life for being loud or outspoken, or maybe you weren't even criticised. Maybe you were just met with coldness or a lack of positive regard for those things. But then that positive regard was very much provided when you were more quiet and more withdrawn, then you're likely over time to adapt or condition yourself to meet others' expectations of you and to become what others want you to become. And this is how we pick up what person-centred theory refers to as conditions of worth. So what conditions must I meet in order to be deemed worthy by others in the world around me? And then ultimately to feel worthy within myself because, you know, we can't help but internalise these things. And it's really hard to feel internally worthy when the world around you is kind of implying that you're not. And that's also what person-centred theory calls having an external locus of evaluation. So you end up valuing yourself based on what the external world imposes on you, not what truly deeply matters to you which would be an internal locus of evaluation. 
And we can see such a range of different conditions of worth in people. So it could be smaller things like how you dress to bigger things like the career path that you end up taking to really deep aspects of our identity, like feeling like we can't live out our true sexuality. Some other common ones that we see are feeling like you have to have reached certain checkpoints by a certain age. So feeling like you have to have bought a house by the time you're, who knows, insert number. (laughs) When actually, if you were given the space to be your true self, your authentic self, you might be like, nah, that ain't for me. I don't want the responsibility of maintaining it. I don't want to feel like I'm tied in. You know, I want to just run and then I can move on in six months if I want to. You know, it can be feeling like you have to be in a relationship, which can sometimes lead to us being with somebody who's not quite right for us because we just feel that in order to be worthy and valid that we have to be with somebody. These can also be gender and culturally specific as well. So in a lot of men, we see that a condition of worth for them is to not be emotional You know, and if we think about how difficult that must be, it's so much harder to identify and regulate your emotions when you're trying to just not feel anything and to show that you don't feel anything. And also to seek support as well. If your condition of worth is to not be emotional, how are you ever going to go to somebody and be like, I'm experiencing difficult emotions? So it can be really, really hard. And often acquiring these conditions of worth does take place through that really subtle, conditional, positive regard. But sometimes it's also through receiving more explicit messages, like literally being told it's not okay to be this or you must follow this path. And I think therapists are often quite attuned to hearing things like musts, shoulds, have tos, need to, and often that indicates some kind of condition of worth. And I think that the people around us who are kind of putting this on us are often trying to do their best with the knowledge and the understanding that they have of the world. But a lot of the time they don't have the awareness of actually how limiting this can be for us. And ultimately, we all want love, connection and belonging. It's a basic human need, arguably even a survival need. And so being part of an in-group is really, really important to us. And we can often feel more secure adapting to fit a social group. And being authentic can feel like a risk to that security, which can be the price that we pay. So we can see in some clients this conflict between belonging and authenticity. And person-centered theory illustrates this through the idea of selves. So it argues that we have a real, authentic self, which is who we are without having to change or adapt ourselves to adhere to what others want of us. Now, of course, we all do this to some degree. You know, most of us have to go to work and do our jobs, even if we're not feeling like it. But this is more about who we are at a deeper level. So our values, our desires and what's truly important to us. And then we have the self-concept, which is who we are in the world, how we see ourselves in relation to everybody else, who we feel we need to be based on those conditions of worth. And when these two selves, the authentic self and the self-concept are misaligned, That's what the person-centred approach refers to as being in a state of incongruence. So really like what we spoke about earlier. So say the real authentic you would love to just rent and not buy a property, but then you find yourself actually in reality, you're going through that process of buying somewhere because it feels like the right thing to do. It feels like what's going to make you worthy. Um, Then that is living in a state of incongruence. And so when the environment that you exist in has led you to experience this incongruence between those two selves, 
that's where we might see clients coming into therapy with emotional issues like low mood, anxiety, or even emotional numbness, or just like a general sense of discontent. At the cognitive level, we might see things like negative or self-critical thoughts, like I'm not good enough. Physiologically, we might see people feeling low in energy, maybe getting frequent gut issues or headaches. At the behavioral level, maybe there's some overworking or over-exercising or maybe eating behaviors have been impacted. And then relationally, maybe we're not finding genuine fulfillment in our relationships. You know, it can be hard to really deeply connect when we're not living authentically. And these are just some examples. The kinds of things that people experience when living in incongruence are completely boundless. And equally, if you're experiencing any of those things that I just listed, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are in a state of incongruence. This is just a theory which can be useful to reflect on that might resonate or speak to your particular experiences. And so through that really trusting, really accepting therapeutic relationship in which the therapist is providing all of those core conditions, This can really help the client to become aware of any incongruence that they might be experiencing and to start to empower their authentic self and dismantle those conditions of worth and ultimately live a more deeply fulfilling life. And there might even be some conditions of worth that clients want to keep around, which they feel like have actually served them more than they've taken away. And that's completely up to them because really person-centered therapy is led by the client. The therapist reflects and seeks to understand and helps to facilitate, but doesn't come with an agenda or a treatment plan or anything like that. So instead, the person-centered therapist places the client as expert on themselves. So again, if we think back to the earlier approaches like psychoanalysis, the therapist was very much the expert and you went to therapy to kind of learn how to be better. Whereas with the person-centered approach, the therapist allows space for you to go wherever you need to in the therapy. And this non-directive approach ensures that the therapy doesn't perpetuate any of those existing dynamics in which the external world knows best and is imposing on the client. So we don't go into person-centered therapy to be told who to be, how to be, or how to get there. The therapist will support and facilitate that process, but ultimately the person-centered approach believes that you are the expert on your own internal world and only you can decide the meaning of your own life. And so maybe while we've been talking about this, you've been able to reflect on some of your own conditions of worth or any ways that you feel misaligned or your environment, your relationships. But hopefully there has been something that you can take away. And feel free to leave me a review and let me know how you found it. You're also welcome to come and follow me over on Instagram at In Therapy with Jess. I've not ventured over to TikTok because my skills are limited. Um, and just as ever... This podcast is psychoeducational, but it's not intended to replace formal therapy. But thanks for being here and I will see you really soon.